Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Four years ago this uh, today, my wife and I were in Germany celebrating at the church where Martin Luther nailed the theses on the door 500 years ago that day. It was an awesome experience, and I, we often talk about, you know, Halloween. It's also Reformation Sunday. I says Reformation Sunday. I'm glad that we, that we had somebody stand up for God. Amen? Stand up for their, what they believe. And so we thank God for uh, Martin Luther and many others that uh, launched it. Also want to thank all of those that went down uh, uh, Friday night down to Wildwood to love on our kids in our community. Um, I told my wife, you know, uh, we had so many kids of ours, our kids and our youth in front of our booth that you couldn't get to the booth. And I, I came that close, young people saying, well, hey, listen, y'all, y'all back out so that people can come up to the booth. But then I realized what better way to promote youth ministry and children's ministry to have kids there, right? Huh? It's great. To, and thank you for those of you that helped uh, uh, do that Friday night. And it's so good to have you here today. It's good, I think. We're supposed to be online. If we're online, welcome. If we're not online, I'm sorry. We've been really working, and, and Pastor Daniel's done an awesome, awesome job working with the, our uh, people that did the supplying of our internet, and it was their problem, not ours, but how many knows if it was their problem, it became our problem. So we're supposed to be back online, and thankfully for that. So today, we're in our study of Old Testament prophets. We will be looking at a lesser-known prophet. We have looked at Samuel and Elijah and Elisha. Everybody knew them. But today we look at a guy by the name of Nathan. Nathan. And also as we look at Prophet Nathan, I want us to think about the good, the better, and the best. The good, the better, and the best. We often say God is good, but how often do we think beyond the good? That maybe God has something even better for us and maybe even desires the best for us very little is known about Nathan according to man's standard Nathan would probably be said he's a nobody we don't know his family we don't know what kind of financial condition he had we knew nothing about him except he was a nobody that was used mightily by God. Aren't you glad that God still uses nobodies? See, there's hope for you and there's hope for me. God can do that and they're so thankful for that. One of the things I want to mention at the very beginning is only mentioned in one verse and I want to share it with you because I think it is significant to show the impact that Nathan had years after he was uh, alive. In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29 verse 25 and he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord, talking about Hezekiah, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David and Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. 
for the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. So going all the way back to David's day, Nathan had outlined and, and did some input on how to have congregational worship. See, they had laid it aside. They had quit worshiping in the temple, and Hezekiah resurrected it, and he went all the way back to the teaching of Nathan and, uh, and the others to formulate the worship and get it revived. Aren't you glad that we have worship, and worship was awesome today, and God is an awesome, awesome God. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Worship in the temple had ceased. But when Hezekiah reestablished worship in the temple, the musicians. Now, when it said liars, I want you to know we have some of those in the church today, but it's not talking about those kind of liars. It's L-Y-E-R-S. It's a musical instrument. said he placed those liars. I can tell you most liars, the L-I-A-R-S, are not placed there by God. It just happens, okay? But we, they were at the command of Nathan. Now, I want us to go to the first mention of Nathan. It's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, David had finally ascended to the throne after Saul's removal. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So David said, listen, I've got a nice house. What I live in is a lot nicer than where God lives because he's just living in a temple, in a tabernacle. Let's make him a temple. And Nathan said, go for it. Go for it. Sound like a great idea to me. Let's build a temple. Go for it. David had the money. And he had a good idea. But many times, I believe that God's children settle for the good when God has something better in mind. Let me say that again. I believe that many times you and I settle for the good when God may have something better. And maybe it's even beyond the better, it's into the best. Because God knows what's best for each one of us. David thought it was a good thing to build the temple. But God said, no, I've got something better for you, David. You say, better than building the temple? Well, let's, let's read and see. Let's go back to verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving around in a tent for my dwelling. This is God speaking. He said, in all places where I moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. 
Now, I want you to listen as we read the next few verses. And remember this, God speaking to David and reminding him of the blessings that he had already bestowed. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people in Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you will lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of sons of men. But, notice this verse, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Let me read that verse again. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before, from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, often we think about the fact that he said, okay, David, you're not going to be qualified to be in the house because you're a man of war. And a man of war should not be building the kingdom or the temple of God. That, that is true. But sometimes we miss something significant here. I think we need to understand that God was telling David, David, it's okay. You've got a good idea to build me a house, but I've got something better. I've got something better. I'm going to establish a kingdom. Wow. Wow. Some of us have settled for doing something good for God. But I think God may be saying, I've got something better. And if you really, really will seek me first, I've got the best for you. I've got the best. Not just the good. Not even just the better. But the best. He was basically telling David, why settle for the good of building a temple when you can have the establishment of David, a house, an eternal house? Now, they didn't have the same knowledge you and I have. We have the knowledge and understanding that David's lineage was going to be continuing all the way through this man that we call Jesus. He said, I'm going to establish a house. I've got something better. I've got something better. Now, we're all familiar with David's sins. I almost call them failures. But I realize we need to call it what it is. How many thinks that a lot of times today we're candy coating the scriptures? We kind of make it sound good. We make mistakes, we fail, and the reality that is totally true. But how many knows that sin is still sin? It can be a mistake, it can be a failure, but sin is sin. And David sinned. 
He lied, committed adultery, and ordered the murder of Uriah, who's the husband of Bathsheba. Let's go to chapter 11, verse 27, and read one verse there. 11, 27. And when the morning was over, this is speaking of Uriah the Hittite dying, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Displeased the Lord. I really felt compelled as I was preparing for this message to discuss the fact the good, the better, and the best. And we need to understand something. We know that we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have failures. But how many knows it's a bad thing when we displease God? David displeased God. We know that God's a good God. And we understand we need to strive not just for the good, but for the better, and yet still the best. But it's my opinion that if our lives are displeasing to God, we most likely will never be at the best. I said, if our lives are displeasing to God, I think we're settled far, far below the best. Maybe below the better, just the good. Now, if you go into chapter 12, it was just as quiet in the 8 o'clock service, too. <laughs> Nathan, the nobody, shows up before David. What was David at this time? He was the king. He was the power of the kingdom. Life and death was in his hand. He could have had his men arrest Nathan. He could have been put to death. And this nobody went to Nathan. I mean, excuse me, went to David. And this is what he said. There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who come to him. Then David's anger, I said, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, 
The man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. See, David thought he was telling him of a current event, and he was. David thought he was telling him of a man that had everything, and he was. And he said that man needs to die, and he needs to give this poor man fourfold. Because he did this thing, and he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you so much more. We could spend a lot of time right there, those few verses. Because I think every one of them can be applicable to each one of us. If we realize and stop and count the blessings that God has done for each one of us. He has done so much for us. He's done good. And he told David, said, I would have added even more. In other words, David, I would have even been better if you would sought for the better. I would have even given you the best. But why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to your wife. And thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And we know that later on this took place that David's wives were committed adultery. Men came in, some of them, even his family, did it openly. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. He said, David, you are the man. David, you must repent. Now, repentance is basically a New Testament concept. It's a word we only find once in the Old Testament. And I don't have time to develop the, the thought that the major difference between David and Saul, Saul never repented. Saul blamed everybody else. David, the moment that Nathan pointed his finger at him and said, David, you are the man. 
David began the repentance process. Now I say the process because it doesn't happen just like that. See, I looked up the word repentance and the the best definition that I could find for repentance, I know we often say a change of direction, but the best definition that I could find was this, the change of mind or purpose to reverse the effects of the previous state of mind. Let me see, read that again. A change of mind or purpose to reverse the effects of the previous state of mind. Repentance is something that is still needed today. I had a lady call me this week, I will not share her name, and she said, Pastor, it's been on my mind. I felt like the Holy Spirit's been telling me to to meet with you. She even dropped by the church and I was out. But she said, I feel like God is telling us as a nation and as a church that we need to repent. Repent. In other words, we need to have a change of mind or purpose to reverse the effects of previous state of mind. And David did what Saul refused to do. What did Saul do? He made excuses. What do we do? We make excuses. Now, if you happen to have an alcohol or drug problem today, I'm not singling you out. Just using this as an illustration. In my years of ministry and dealing with someone with a drug problem or alcohol problem, the number one thing that shows is that it is never their fault. What do they tell you? They tell you the same thing Adam did. God, it was that woman you gave me. They made me drink. She drove me to drink. Now we can flip that spouse of the name. He's the cause of my drinking And we can understand that to a degree. Saul never repented. I said, Saul never repented. And because he refused to repent, God took the spirit from him. As I mentioned, repentance is a New Testament word. Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. Old Testament, verse 1 and 2. See if this relates to your husband or your wife. I know it doesn't relate to you. (laughs) Ah, stubborn people, our stubborn children, declares the Lord who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, to take shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Now drop down to verse eight. And now go, 
write it before them on a tablet and ascribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right, speak to us smooth things, prophecy illusions, leave the Leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. How many knows that that is very prominent in our churches today? There's a lot of people that don't want to hear anything about sinfulness. They want to hear the good news. They want to hear about God's love, but they don't want to hear about God's justice. They want to hear about the privileges of Christianity and not listen to the responsibilities of Christianity. That's nothing new. Isaiah said it. He said, don't send us a seer that's gonna tell us what's the bad things are gonna happen. I want somebody to tell me the good news. Now the gospel is good news. But how many knows the truth is still the truth? Truth is still the truth. It says, therefore, says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in the high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instance. And its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of cistern. Said in other words, a vessel that's supposed to be of use is useless because it's been broken. You can't cook on it. You can't even pick up water on it. Then verse 15, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning. That word returning is the Old Testament equivalent of in repentance. In repentance. And rest, you shall be saved. In other words, when we have a change of mind or purpose to reverse the effects of the previous state of mind, then God can do something not just good, but better and best for us. It says, in quietness and in trust shall you be your strength, but you were unwilling. In other words, we don't want to repent. We don't want to have a change of mind. And yet we still say we want God's best. We want God's better. And yet we don't even really understand his good. Amen. Let's see what... John says about John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. He said to, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Let me read that again. He said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. Who were the ones that were coming to John the Baptist? We would say it was the ones that were wanting to be baptized what in the, in repentance. He was speaking to what we would call the church. He wasn't speaking to the world. He was speaking to those that were coming to be baptized. But what did he say? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What's that? A change of mind or purpose to reverse the effects of the previous mind. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He adds a little bit of other good news as we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, where he says, I have not come, this is Jesus speaking, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners, sinners excuse me, to repentance. God is calling the church. God's calling you and I. He's calling us to repentance. And I believe that we need to be, heed the words of God. And if he's taking his big finger... And putting it on you and says, your name, you're the man. See, isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? You're quieter than the 8 o'clock service. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does what? It repents. Convicts us of what? Sinfulness. See, Nathan in one respect, would be equivalent to an old, uh, it would be the Old Testament Holy Spirit. Because they did not have the working of the Holy Spirit in those days like we do now. So Nathan went to David and put his big old finger and said, David, you're the man. David could have made a lot of excuses. David could have denied it. That's what Saul did. But David repented. David repented. Go over to the New Testament a little bit further in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Folks, the news gets a little bit better. Bear with me. Give me a few more minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, this is Paul speaking, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. That was the type of repentance that David had. When David was confronted by Nathan and he said, you are the man, he said, listen, I'm sorry. I missed it. He even lost the child that was born out of that union. He was heartbroken. Is that the same thing Paul was speaking of? He said that godly sorrow that produces repentance. See, we tend to look at, at, at conviction as a negative. Conviction is not a negative. 
Conviction is the way God deals with the people he loves. To speak to us and say, you're the man. You're the woman. And repentance is when we realize, yeah, he's talking about me. I'm guilty. And as David said, God, you've been so good to me. You've blessed me so much. I don't deserve it. See, that was the reason he said those words, restoring to me the joy of my salvation. He lost it because of sinfulness. He wanted to build a house. That was good. But God said, I've got something better. I want you to build a kingdom. Let me just throw this out to you. Do you think God may be wanting to do a lot better for you and even give you the best? But because of our non-repentance, our refusal to change our minds, that we're stuck. That we're stuck. I believe God wants to do more with each one of us, myself included. I believe that God wants to do better in me. A best me. Even beyond what I could ever imagine. I want you to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Read a couple of verses. Verse 7, chapter 7, verse 17. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. I wish I didn't have to read this next verse or next phrase. As I took it from Saul. Whom I put away from before you. What, what's God saying? He said, I love Saul just as much as I loved you. A steadfast love. But he ignored it. He said, but if you surrender to me. Now I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. This was after the sinfulness, after the repentance, and I believe there's a great lesson in these couple of verses. Then David comforted his wife. Comforted after what? They had just lost a baby. Their child of a few months old had just died. David had fasted and prayed, and the child died anyway. It says, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now Solomon means man of peace. Remember the prophecy that a man of peace, Dave, you can't build a king, uh, temple, but Solomon, your son, will. And the Lord loved him. Verse 25. And he sent a message by Nathan. The prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Simple verse. 
And if we don't look up Jedediah and find out what it means, we might overlook it completely. The last time Nathan had went to David, he told him about his sin. David, you're the man. But the next time he went to celebrate a birth of Solomon, man of peace. But he says, God called him Jedediah. You know what Jedediah means? Beloved of God. See, that's as good as it gets. Because of regardless of what we've done, God still loves us. He said, I want you to remind David. Yeah, he sinned. But he still loved of God. I think most every one of us in the building would probably have to acknowledge that we have really don't deserve God's love. But aren't you glad he loves you anyway? Some of you may be just like David was. Maybe a totally different level. But you just know that the Holy Spirit, not Nathan, not Pastor Strickland, but the Holy Spirit has come and revealed something to your mind today. Not just a, a little thing or not just a insignificant or not something that you wonder about, but a specific. David, you are the man. But put your name in there. Put my name in there. Daryl, you're the man. You need to repent. You need to repent. But regardless of what you've done, I love you anyway. But I believe that God's wanting to do something in each one of us. And I know there's some, probably some of you out there said, Pastor, I don't have a clue of anything that I need to repent of. And I know pride would not be a part of that, but just, just saying. <laughs> but I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking to some today. He said, I want, I want better than good for you. I want the best. But I need you to be yielded to me. You need to change your mind or purpose so that we can reverse the effects of the previous state of mind. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit, we love you. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. And I'd like for us to sing that same course we sang in the first service this morning. Just between you and God, none of us need to know 
But I want you to know God loves you. He loves you so much, He wants to go beyond the good. He even wants to get beyond the better to the best. And He does that as we yield to Him totally. As we surrender to Him. Yes, as we repent of whatever our sin may be. And if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I really have not been convicted of anything from the Holy Spirit, then that's fine. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, putting your name in there, can I encourage you to respond? So as we worship the Lord by singing this song, I want to pray first, then we're just going to sing. And if there's something you need to repent of, I can't think of a better day than today than to repent and ask God to help us. Ask God to help us. Father, I lift up the needs of every one of these people to you today. I lift up the needs of our nation to you. Because, Father, even if we don't need to repent as individuals, we need to repent as a nation. And because the church hasn't done what it's supposed to do, Father, we have to repent as a church. So, Father, we just ask you to help us. Help us. Now, help us to lean not upon our own understanding, but help us to yield to you. And help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, we just give you the praise, give you the honor, and give you the glory. And Father, as we leave here in a few moments, we pray that even as we minister in the community, that the love of God would be exemplified. We'd be able to share the good news of Jesus. God, we thank you for it. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.